This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's show, we meet the Pritzker Prize-winning architect Francis Kerre. Plus, we stop over in Brazil to visit an architectural gem, the Casa de Vidro. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. The Burkina Bear architect Francis Kerre took home the prestigious Pritzker Prize earlier this year. It's an award which recognises excellence across a designer's complete body of work and sets the benchmark for practising architects everywhere. For Francis, it's recognition for his decades of work that have consistently kept sustainable practice, by way of using local materials and knowledge, central to his approach. For proof, one only needs to look to Francis's first project, in Gando, Burkina Faso. Here, while still studying architecture, he set about establishing a foundation to support access to education for African children, while also overseeing the design and construction of the Gando Primary School. Completed in 2001, the architect worked with the community on the design and build of the school, helping locals to develop construction trades as they handcrafted a structure made of clay cleverly reinforced with cement. The project would set the precedent for Francis's practice. And since then, his projects have spanned international borders, including the now under construction Goethe Institute in Senegal. To find out more about his career evolution, I caught up with the architect, discussing how his upbringing as the oldest son of a village chief, who was educated in carpentry and architecture in Germany, has informed his approach to the field. Francis began by outlining his route into architecture, by way of working with wood. I was trained as a carpenter in Burkina Faso, first of all. Um, but I mean, I have to, to tell people there is no more opportunities or there is no opportunities in working with wood in Burkina Faso since we are in the middle of the Sahel uh, zone, you know. The Sahel zone is, it is dry, there is no wood. And then as a 17, 18 years uh, boy, if you got a scholarship to come to Germany and then to do a vocational um, training, your dreams grow, you know, because you think that you will have something in in your hand that enable you to push your profession further. So that is why I arrived in Germany. And after this training, I decided to, I told myself, I know how to make furniture. I know how to fix roofs. I want to learn how to, to draw and make brick layering. So I will go back to Burkina and then try to work. But it, 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 it ends differently because I'm, I am now connected to Burkina, but at the same time, I am doing projects around the world. What was that initial uh, return to Burkina Faso like? First of all, you know, after this training, uh, I went further trying to become, let's say, a good brick layer to know how I can do it. But then there was no ways, and I was suggested to do a high school degree and to be able to study in Germany. Okay, I said, if there is no other way to learn how to make a proper wall, then I will do that. And I did it for five years, and I potentially I earned my high school degree, and I went to a university in Germany to study architecture. And uh, I didn't wait to finish studying. I learned techniques at university, and this is what I wanted to do. I knew how to do basic calculation, basic engineering, 
and also I discovered a lot of ancient techniques around Berlin. So with this, I feel I was good enough to go back to Burkina and start to work. And so I went back, still being a student at the TU Berlin, and to start construct a, a school for my people in my uh, hometown. I really didn't want to, wanted to wait to really finish studying, but I wanted to be active, to use my skills and create something that will serve my community. So it was always about, yeah, almost as soon as you had the skills starting to implement them. Yes, exactly. This is what I, I, did, I, I did. I mean, I, I want to ask too, you talked about learning ancient techniques there in uh, when you were in Germany. Uh, it, it feels to me like you use a lot of uh, maybe traditional techniques, local materials, even local skills in, in your work. Is that something that's deliberate or, or why has that happened? Why is that across the body of your work? It's very simple. You know, it's about really knowing your reality and then being connected to the world of technology, uh, of innovation. That is Burkina Faso in the other, in the one hand, and the other one is Germany or the Western, the West, you know. And so uh, for me, if you really go with high, high technique, high technology, you cannot succeed where technology is at the very, very beginning. So how I, I connect both is to study the way people built in Germany before the industrial time. I wanted to simply know how they was mixing material to build before the industrial time, and then to take these techniques and apply them together with knowledge in Burkina Faso to create a building, for example, that can sustain the element, that can last longer, that also didn't put a lot of burden to the environment. This was ideas. That's why I'm always interested to simple techniques, simple solutions first. This paved my career from the beginning to now. At the same time, it almost feels like there's a sustainability angle in there. Like by returning to maybe these more traditional ways of building where you're able to create structures that are actually going to last longer. You know, we're using this word like that is an expression, a white elephant. So a white elephant is to go in a place and just install something, a building or whatever, and people are not able to fix, you know, to install something that has nothing to deal with reality. In my case, I wanted to create something that people understand, that people can learn from it, that people later can maintain it, that people can identify themselves with, with the structure, but also to create something comfortable enough without having the need to put energy, for example, to cool inside the rooms, you know. And so now it is part of my DNA, but you can call it uh, sustainability. But for me, there was no other solution than to look at material that are abundant, to use them, to improve them, and then to create something that really fit within the reality to my people and not to create a white elephant. I mean, you, you talked about people identifying with, with, the, with the structures or, or with the buildings. What does that look like? Are you, are you thinking about people's connection with your, with your structures, whether that's emotional or, or social, as, as you're creating them? Oh, it's both. It's both emotional and social. The first building that I did, the school. We finished building the school, and I was standing 
in the school and then thinking about all the effort, about what people made, you know, everyone supported to beer. And I had no resources left to give to them. That was my thinking. And an older person came to talk to me. And I saw a young girl guiding him to me. He just came and told me the building is looking beautiful from my compound. His compound was around 900 meters from the construction site. And you know what? This man was not able to see so far. And the fact is the building has been seen by the people as something unique, something strongly emotional to them because it is their building. And everyone wanted to tell me how great this building is, even this man that was not able to see. So this is emotional. The second thing is the social. Everyone took part of the construction. The entire village participated. Old women, old men, young men. We build it together. It's social lifting up. We have a value because we were able to build this structure with Francis and we learn new techniques and our knowledge has been evaluated. This is a high added value if you think about how the continent working, you know. People feel valued. The architect Francis Kerrer there will have more from my conversation with him in a little bit. We venture to Brazil now, where nestled among the rainforest canopies surrounding Sao Paulo is the architectural gem Casa de Vidro. Also known as the Glass House due to its use of the aforementioned material, the building was designed by a leading figure in tropical modernism, the architect Lina Bobardi. She in turn designed other key civic structures in Sao Paulo, like the MASP Art Museum and the cultural centre Sesc Pompeia. Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco took a visit to the Casa de Vidro, now a private house occasionally open to the public, and caught up with the curators Renato Anelli and Eugenia Gorin Esmeralda. Eugenia began by sharing how Lina Bobardi became acquainted with tropical modernism after arriving in Brazil from Italy with her partner Pietro Maria Bardi. They arrived in Rio. Lina used to say that the vision of the modern architecture was very impactful for her because she knew building of the that was inspired by Le Corbusier, built by Niemeyer, uh, Lucio Cos, and a, a group of artists that we now call Palacio Capanema in Rio. She was fascinated by this building, and they probably had seen the catalog of Brazil builds the exhibition that was uh, presented in, at the MoMA two or three years before. So they had some idea about our architecture. And when she arrived in Rio, she was uh, introduced to these architects. And she was very happy to be in a country that she could breathe easily. And she left behind the destruction of Italy. So she was fascinated and felt at home here. Bardi had the, the, the invitation of Assis Chateaubriand to build the museum. So together they decided to make a very good thing and uh, the example of the building of the MASP. And Renato, I just want to ask about the institute itself. How is it maintained in a way? Do you have visits? Do you have events here? 
I just want to know because I think it's something that people are becoming very interested. I mean, the house is amazing. It's an icon of Sao Paulo. Uh, so tell us a bit more about, about that. Yeah, the, the first thing is that that house is open to visitors. You can find to book in advance uh, for visiting and also for research. So you can go online to our website, institutobody.org, and you can book it. It's important because this maintained house working. But let me explain a little bit what is the institute for mm-hmm. in the role of this. This is a rare, a rare case of institute and preservation, historically listed building as the house, that the house depends, sheltered the institute, the, the archives, the files, the drawings, the pictures, the documents, the works of art of the couple, gives support to researchers, to publications, to works uh, on, on them. And the institute is in charge of the maintenance of the house. So this is a kind of symbiotic. I mean, I'm visiting the house here. Uh, tell us about some of the elements in the house, the furniture. One thing I was impressed, I know it sounds simple, but the windows are fantastic. And actually you can open them fully, even though you know, we have to be careful. Uh, uh, but, but tell us about what are your favorite aspects of the house? There is a barge influence in this decision, but Lina loved the uh, glass, and Bardi had worked in this field in Italy. Uh, he edited a magazine called Il Vetro in Italy. He didn't sign any article because he, they had forbidden him to sign articles, but he directed, he did everything. And this glass everywhere, uh, and then in, at the museum, uh, it shows this influence. But they used to discuss together all the projects. During the time that we followed their work, we could see that they had a dialogue, constant dialogue. And in, in this case, the house, the vegetation that Lina left, they decided to build this sort of a, a small forest. The main attraction, together with the house, because it's, it's beautiful to see the trees, the, there are some monkeys that sometimes appear. So everything is attractive. Also the collection of popular art that Lina and Bart uh, appreciated a lot. We can say that this mix is very interesting. <laughs> Well, and I love the elevation as well. You're mentioning about the trees as well. You do feel you're above the sky in a way. I think that's that's the sense of elevation. What about you, Renata? I think the house, there's uh, an important aspect that is uh, related to the espography design that she developed with Bardi for the museum. So uh, I think this was the first rehearsal that she done in this, in this idea of the transparency of the works of art of different times put together in, in a continuous space, in a transparency facades that you can see the works of art with the landscape together. This was uh, applied later in the set of the venue of the museum in Paulista Avenue, where you can see the glass uh, supports 
uh, and the paintings and sculptures together in this the same continuous space, but in a huge situation. So this was a, a first moment of this experience that she and he proposed to Brazilian museography. Can you tell us, uh, you were talking about the floor. I love the floor and the color of it, which is a light blue sky. It was quite unusual, right, for, for houses like this. I think it's uh, amazing. This uh, is called Vidro Til. And it, unfortunately, it was not produced anymore. But the Casa de Vidro is the first house to use this in the floor. And it's beautiful because 70 years, and they are still appear new and beautiful and due to the blue it reflects the the sky so it's it's beautiful she decided also in the there are others in the bathroom in other colors but they are very practical also to maintain and to clean it's very beautiful that was the curator eugenio gorin esmeralda and before that renato anelli They were speaking to Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We'll be right back after this. Portugal has plenty more to offer visitors than sun, sea and sand. With its vibrant cities, rolling vineyards and incredible history of design and a resourcefulness that always amazes. It's a fun place to eat. I mean, like, you just don't stop. It's sunny and it's warm and everything's outside. Like, it's great. Portugal The Monocle Handbook is the first in a brand new series revealing our favorite places to eat, stay and shop from Lisbon to the Azores. Should you wish to stay a little longer, it will also help you find a neighborhood that could become your new base and introduce you to the people who have already put down roots. Head to monocle.com to find out more and prepare to see this fascinating nation afresh. Now we return to my conversation with architect Francis Kerre. We rejoin the chat as Francis explains how working alongside locals and providing training to construct his buildings can provide a benefit that goes further than just a finished project. I am always thinking about transferability. And then in Burkina Faso, it works all West Africa. It works very well. By building, we are transferring knowledge. We're training people. Actually, I am the one all my structure is benefiting from that, or Burkina Faso. Because while I'm talking to you, I have like minimum six or seven construction sites where people are just independently working. And there was trained through the working process in Gando, beginning of Gando, my, my hometown, and now through other projects across Burkina Faso. Now they're even going to the neighboring countries now. There is a transferability, which is important. But you cannot apply the same one-to-one to the UK or to Germany. This is another society, another way of making things. We are far developed in, a, in, a, in most of Western countries that to get people participate, take part in the process is possible. But in the making, is very difficult because you have good organized structure for training. But indeed, you have to find a way to get people to be involved Because if you're talking about architecture or something related to the culture, so architecture is present. It is massive. It affects everyone, neighbor, 
users. And if you really are aware about this and you communicate, you just implicate people already because you are telling what is going to happen, how this building is going to affect you. And so this way, you are embarking people within the idea. And this is already a win. But just to get people participate like I do in Gando, I needed to do this in Burkina Faso because we don't have structure that will properly train people. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those projects? So, you know, obviously there's there's that first initial school you did and that gave the community skills. Are are you seeing that transferred onto other projects, um, you know, and, and across West Africa? Oh, yes, completely, completely. We, we, we now even trying to send people now to Ghana. We work um, in Togo a lot. We're now planning to start some big scale project in uh, Africos. We have hard partner coming from uh, Niamey, Niger, to really learn from us and apply project in, in Niger. I'm trying to find ways how we can get people connect to Kenya, where I also have projects. It was important for me to train my people and now proven to be the good solution in the place where you have no training opportunities to really provide training while constructing a building. When people are going to these other places, are they also, you know, they're working with local communities there. Are they picking up on their own building techniques that are perhaps local to that place? Yeah, yeah. This is what we're looking. Firstly, if we arrive on site, we will go and explore the place and what is available and what kind of knowledge is already existing. How can we put this together to create something that is unique? For example, we have started a project uh, in uh, Senegal, in Dakar. It is the very first building built by the German Goethe Institute. It's a cultural institute. And because it's a cultural institute, we have been asked to try to work with local. And then we start to explore ways how we can work together. Is there certain technique uh, available, existing? How can we get people? And this process is always at the beginning of every new project that we started. And this way, we will be able to create something that, one, relate to the culture. Uh, secondly, it is sustainable because all of these ideas that we apply in Gando will be applied, like trying to create buildings that has a long life, but also that are passively working, you know, creating comfort without putting a lot of uh, energy. That sounds uh, sensational. I mean, so your initial process is actually to get out, like before you even start designing, you will just go and visit and walk around and, and experience the place. Is that correct? Or, or I guess that's happening at the same time? Before we start, you're going to know the site, you're going to meet the client, you're going to see who is going to benefit the project, and importantly, what is available. And it helps you come out with a project that is really uh, fit within the environment and not being, like I say, a white elephant. With the, the Goethe Institute, what does that now look like once you've gone out on site? How, how has that come out in, in your plans? Is, how is Dakar maybe reflected in the building? You know, it can be hot in Dakar. At night, it can be very, very cold, you know. So this is already, it is Africa, but this is in, in Dakar, the, the fact. You have the ocean. But then we realize there is a lot of techniques that we've been doing in Burkina that exists in Senegal. 
And so, for example, using clay bricks, compact clay blocks, so to use them in the way that we save energy, but that we really push local knowledge further, allowing them to contribute to create an important cultural institution. You know, all of these are part of what we do. Even for a bigger nation like Germany, it is important to save uh, energy, but to save resources. Uh, in the same way, showing new ways how you could put together knowledge from Germany to craftsmanship in Senegal and create a structure that is inspiring, but that is working very well. I mean, I, I want to ask the Institute is another example of, I guess, a public building that you're working on, you know, and, and you've worked on lots of schools. And that seems to be a big part of your portfolio and you clearly must yeah. like working on them. Why is that? Why are they important to you? First of all, it is a logic follow up of my work. You know, I started to create schools because I felt for my village was a way to give open opportunities to other kids to stay in their village and then to attend education. And for me, working on public and civic buildings is so important because in the past, those kind of structure has been seen as government issues or big corporation. And there was no relationship to the culture and to the local way of understanding things. For me now, using my skills and support those kind of structure or to have a commission where you know that that kind of building plays an important role of life of people. It is a sort of identity. If you build a parliament house, it is building a structure that will host the representative of a given nation. And if you happen to apply techniques that relate to the culture, or use symbols that reflect the pride of the nation, then you will really allow that kind of structure to work well because people identify themselves with it already, which is great. I am using the opportunities opening to me to inspire, but also to really create something that unite people, cultures, regions, you know, I mean, I guess just my last question is, uh, and, and firstly, huge congratulations for the for the Pritzker Prize win. But I want to ask what you hope people take away from your work being recognised by the Pritzker. What do you hope other people learn from your recognition? The fact that I started to work in my little place in, in the village of Gando, really, uh, that was a remote place, a little village with no opportunities, and then to really keep doing until even being awarded Prisca is showing that everyone can achieve greatness, that we should just take our task as something that can contribute to the general debate on architecture, on climate change, on shrinking resources, but also on migration. What I have done within my work, like training young people, that now are able to stay in Burkina Faso and earn a living is a great example. You don't see it in that. People, the architecture award is about architecture, but there is a lot of issues that are half tackled without knowing it. So it is an encouragement, you know, uh, to say to everyone, just do great things, believe in yourself, and then even institutions like Prescas will find you. For me personally, it is a big recognition 
but then a big push. Francis, keep doing it. You have a voice. You could show to people you should not start in New York. You can start little and to grow big. The architect Francis Kerry there. And that's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. And if you enjoy print, then do pick up a copy of Monocle magazine as well. It's where the interview with Francis Kerry was first published and is on all good newsstands now. Today's episode was produced by Maylee Evans. She also edited the show with assistance from Adam Heaton and Callum McLean. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me on nm at monocle.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>